What's up, Irish fans, and welcome back to the Slauncher Route. I'm your host, Jack Leniart, and on today's episode, I welcome back some of my fellow Slop the Sign writers to talk about the recent NFL draft and the landing spots for the Notre Dame players in that draft. At the end of our conversation, we also talked about the upcoming college football season and how that may be affected by the current coronavirus pandemic. Before we get to that, here's a quick word about Anchor. We now welcome back some of our Slap the Sign writers to discuss the 2020 NFL draft that took place this past weekend, in part, in uh, specifically where the Notre Dame players ended up going. Um, and so on the phone, I have Matt Clark, Nathan Erbach, and Mason Plummer. Fellas, how are you doing today? Matt, let's start with you. Ah, uh, good, thank you. Just uh, you know, trying to recuperate from from what was a long draft weekend. Still kind of worn out from that. Amen. And Nathan, how you holding up? Good, good. Just uh, trying to stay safe and trying to get as much sporting news as possible because uh, I think we're all itching for uh, for sports on the television still. Very true. And how about you, Mason? I'm doing all right. I'm surviving. I'm right smack in the middle of finals week. So I'm just using this as a break kind of thing and uh, get my mind off of classes and everything. So I'm doing okay. Right on. All right. So I think just the how this would work is we could just go through each of the six Notre Dame players that got drafted in order and talk about how we feel they fit on the teams that drafted them and also talk about where they were selected compared to our predictions kind of headed into the draft. So the first Notre Dame player that went off the board was Cole Komet. And in our last podcast, I think four of the five of us predicted that was going to be the case. Um, Matt, I think you were the lone one that said you thought Aquara was going to be the first off the board, but you did add in the caveat that you could see it being either Aquara or Komet. So, since Komet was drafted to Chicago, we'll start with Nathan, with Nathan on this one. Uh, Nathan, how do you feel about the overall fit for Komet with the Bears? And um, I think you were expecting this at 43. Uh, did you have a change of heart leading up to uh, this pick, or were you holding solid with that? Um, I always thought that if he was there at 43 that the Bears definitely were looking at him. I mean, they haven't they had a need at tight end. Um, even with Jimmy Graham on the roster. Um, and, you know, obviously the local kid went to Notre Dame. Notre Dame produces tight ends at a high level, um, you know, pretty much on a yearly basis. So um, I think the overall fit in that, in that aspect of it was great. And I think he was also the best tight end in the draft. So, you know, when you have a need there and you need offensive weapons for, you know, for Nick Foles or Mitchell Trubisky, whoever's going to be the quarterback, then, um, you know, I think it was a no-brainer. Um, I think as a Bears fan, it wouldn't necessarily have been my first choice out of all the guys that were on the board. Um, but in general, I think it was a really solid pick, and, and it was a good value because I think he could have gone earlier, and if he didn't go at 43, he would have gone in the next couple selections. Yeah. How about you, Mason? What are your thoughts on Quebec going at 43? Yeah, I, I highlighted in my article leading up to the draft that if it, if he didn't go to the Patriots or the Packers early in the first round, that it's probably going to be the Bears that took him. 
with a little bit of a slide as there wasn't a lot of teams from that like 30 to 42 ish range that needed a tight end. So I figured he would go to the bears then it was good to see him go. I think it's a good fit. I think he'll be successful there. I tend to agree. And what about you, Matt? What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of thought he would go to, um, you know, the Packers, I think was, was an obvious choice that the rumors were that they were going to try to get, uh, Aaron Rodgers some weapons and, and he wanted, he wanted some weapons. It seemed like a classic fit. Obviously they kind of shocked everybody and, and went with love at quarterback in the first round. And then after that, I was like, well, I, you know, I, the bears were kind of the natural selection for a while, but I think the only, the only hesitation I had with you know, predicting that he'd go there was the Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Graham signing. Of course, once Trey Burton was released, that kind of opened the door a little bit. So I think it's a good pick. I think he'll be, I think he'll be good there. I think they can, they can really market him being that he's from the area. Um, You know, obviously there's some crossover between Notre Dame fans and and Bears fans that may be a little bit, a little bit heavier there uh, just because of the the location. So I think it's a solid pick. I I think he'll fit in well in Chicago. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think everyone was in agreement with Komet being the top tight end in this draft class. Um, and, yeah, it just seemed like – I think when we talked about the, the Pats and the Packers both having needs there as well, um, I, I mean, we could we could go off on a tangent and talk about what the Packers are thinking going with, with love um, and kind of the ripple effects of that pick as far as their relationship with Aaron Rodgers goes. Uh but um, I think with him being there at 43 for the Bears, it just – it seemed too good to be true. And they showed um, – I mean, you saw this with a lot of guys uh, following the draft, uh, kind of like the communities throwing little drive-by parades for them after they got picked. Uh, and him being, you know, a Chicago suburb kid, it's just a, a really cool story. So next we can move on to Chase Claypool, who was selected by the Steelers in the second round with the 49th overall pick. And Mason, since you're a Steelers fan, I'll give you first crack at this one. What are your thoughts on Claypool going to the Steelers there? Yeah, I was really excited about it. I was really excited about the pick. That was the Steelers' first pick. Um, They traded their first rounder last year for Minka Fitzpatrick. So if you throw him into this draft class, it's already great. But so when you're looking at that second round pick that the Steelers had, I really thought they were going to go J.K. Dobbins. Um, the Steelers running backs have been injury prone ever since Le'Veon Bell left with James Conner going down and Jalen Samuels hasn't been great. So I really thought J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State was going to be the pick there. So I was excited about that, really waiting to hear his name. And then I hear Chase Claypool from Notre Dame. So I was just super pumped to hear that. And I think he's a great fit next to Juju Smith-Schuster. I think they can really be the next really uh, compatible one-two punch there. And um, nobody really drafts wide receivers or develops them better than the Steelers do. So I think Claypool is set up for a great NFL career in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on the pick? Yeah, I think it's a solid pick. Uh, I've read a number of uh, Steelers uh, insiders that were kind of saying that they don't think that that Claypool was necessarily their guy, but there was kind of a run. Um, You know, the rumors were – Rieger and uh, uh, Hamlin uh, from Penn State. And then uh, there was one other guy that they they wanted, and all three of them kind of went off the board right right ahead of uh, Claypool. And they think that, you know, those were the guys. But honestly, of of that group, I I think that Claypool will 
probably be the better receiver or the best receiver of all of them. And uh, I think they, while it may not have been their first choice, I, I think he fits perfectly opposite uh, Smith Schuster. And, um, you know, that they've got a, they've, it, it, it's almost like a, I saw somebody compare uh, the duo to, uh, it, it's a modern version of Plaxico Burris and uh, Martavius Bryant, which I think is a, is a pretty, pretty solid comparison. Um, obviously, Claypool will be in the big body uh, Burris version of that. So uh, I think they got themselves a, a hell of a receiver and they've got some weapons for Big Ben and then whoever they to be on that. So I, I think it was a great move for dealers. All right. And Nathan, over to you. Any thoughts on what Mason and Matt had to say or on the general thoughts on the pick overall? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I think um, it was great that he ended up at the top 50. I think the overall sentiment of Notre Dame fans and Notre Dame media were that, you know, maybe Claypool wasn't getting the amount of love he deserved, even with even with the dominant combine. And, you know, people were talking about moving him to, moving him to tight end, um, you know, or, and you know, his his play speed maybe isn't as good as the four four two that he ran and so on and so forth. But you put on the tape and I think he's very easily a top 50, um, you know, caliber prospect and maybe even in some other drafts that weren't so wide receiver deep that, you know, he, he's a first round caliber player. Um, so I was happy about that. And then, uh, like Mason said with the Steelers, I mean, they develop uh, wide receivers better than anybody. Um, and I think that there's stats that back that up. So I love that. And then um, I think they needed a big guy. Um, I know Matt kind of mentioned that a little bit. He he works really well, out, uh, you know, opposite of Juju. Um, outside of Juju Smith, I don't think they have many guys that are really over that six foot uh, margin. So, you know, you put Juju on one side and Claypool on another, and then you have all these other speed guys that they got. And I think it's a really good match for their team. Yeah. And I think we touched on this in the last episode as well. Um, Chase Claypool, yeah, just seems like very much a first round talent. And it was super deep wide receiver class this year, which is why we saw him go where he did, where he did go. Um, but I think in other years, he's very easily in the first round. All right, moving on to the third round of the NFL draft, we had Julian Aquara selected by the Detroit Lions to go play alongside his brother Romeo, and he was selected with the 67th overall pick. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on the pick? Um, and uh, just overall fit. Uh, I know Aquara, Julian made some comments about uh, – not paying rent and going to live with his, his older brother. Uh, so that, I'm sure that'll be an interesting dynamic, but I, I bet his parents are happy that they ended up in the same place. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, on that's, Dick? that's where I had mocked him going. I had him going there uh, in the early part of the second round. Uh, I was a little bit surprised. Uh, any, all the edge rushers not named Chase Young or uh, Chase on seem to really have slipped terrible in this draft. Um, you guys like Curtis Weaver, who was a sack machine that a lot of people had projected in the second round. I think he was still available in the fifth round. Um, you had Bond from Wisconsin slipped. Okwara kind of slipped a lot more. I mean, he was uh, almost all the drafts had him, you know, late first round, early second round. So, you know, compared to some of the other guys, the slip wasn't as, as prolific. But 
Uh, I actually had him pick going to the Lions, and I, I think it is a good fit. They don't have a lot of, of pass rushers. Uh, I do think it's uh, it's kind of a – it was a pretty cool feel-good uh, type weekend for for Notre Dame players uh, between Komet going to his hometown, um, you know, uh, Okwara going to play with his brother, uh, Troy Fry Jr., you know, kind of basically staying at home or going back to his hometown as well. So it was a cool uh, – it, it was a cool thing, and I, I do think he'll do well up there. I think it – you know, I think some of the, the one of the biggest thing is just getting acclimated to the NFL for some of these rookies. So it's definitely going to help to have his older brother who's already been through that process. A um, little bit different path uh, to, to doing so. But still, you know, he understands the ins and outs and to have that guidance. I think that's going to be huge for Oquara. Definitely. What about you, Nathan? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, on the pick? no, I mean, obviously, I think it could end up being a really good um, – selection for them a kind of maybe of a steel sort of pick uh i think around this time uh you know last year none of us would have expected him to fall to the third round um you know but injuries and maybe a few other um you know he wasn't as consistent in the games that he played this year that kind of uh you know hurt him a little bit and he wasn't able to show stuff at the combine and so on and so forth so that that obviously um you know pushed him down the board a bit um, and I think maybe the NFL just wasn't viewing this class as a very deep, um, you know, edge rusher class. So they thought that they could, you know, push guys down and then get them, you know, those few guys that had some upside, they can go, you know, they could go in the third round and they'd be happy with them. Uh, but no, echoing Matt's thoughts. I mean, obviously a feel good story being with his brother uh, lions, you know, they're sort of them in that middle of the mediocrity of the football world. So in that sense, it's obviously not a great fit. He might not be a winner per se, um, but, you know, they did have a need at pass rush. Uh, Matt Patricia is, you know, a really good defensive coach. Um, so and I, I think they're going to be able to find ways to use him. And wh- whether or not his team's winning on the field, I think he has an opportunity to put up some good stats. And how about you, Mason? What, do you, what are your thoughts on Okora? Yeah, I think everybody hit it pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a, it's an okay fit. It was a feel good story to see him join Romeo. They never got to play together at any level of football. So it'd be good to potentially see them on the field at the same time. But yeah, to echo what Nathan said, we talked about this on Mark's show yesterday that I don't necessarily think it's the best fit other than playing with Romeo. Um, the lions aren't the best team coach and he'll coach acquire well. But I don't think it's the best fit as far as, like, being a winner. But not everybody can be a winner necessarily. So, um, yeah, I think he'll have a decent opportunity to play relatively early and potentially even start for the Lions. So that, that'll be cool for us to see. But, um, yeah, I think uh, he'll be one to watch. And I think the Lions may have got a, a first-round talent in the third round. So, uh, potentially a steal there for Detroit. Yeah, I always felt like the, the third round was – was the floor for, for Julian heading into this draft. Um, Matt, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I know that, that there's been the knock on the Lions. The Lions did look pretty poor last year, but I actually, I think I'm a little bit higher on them than a lot of people. They were doing fairly well until they lost Stafford. I mean, that was, that was a huge loss. So that team might not be as crappy as everybody thinks. Uh, they picked up some, some decent, some decent players there. Uh, so I, I think it'll be interesting, but, yeah, I I, uh, I definitely think that, to your point, you know, the third round, 
I, I think he, he definitely slipped a lot farther than a lot of people think. I was going to ask you guys, do you think if he was able to, if the leg injury wasn't still a concern and he was able to participate in the combine, do you think he would have gone higher? The, the Lions suckered you in, Matt. Did, did they? <laughs> Trust me. Well, I used to be a Lions fan way back in the day as a kid, so maybe that's why. Maybe maybe I have more optimism than most people. So, um, just, I would say, I, as far as the the injury affecting where he was selected, I mean, I'm sure it played some part in him dropping a little bit, just because. I mean, at face value, players with injuries are going to be valued less than players without injuries, at, you know, in the year leading up to when they're entering the draft. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm not sure how much it, it, his – how much earlier he would have been selected had he been able to, you know, go through all the all the drills at the Combine. Um, yeah, I, I think – yeah, so just a, a, a marginal – um, devaluation for him based on the injury he, he suffered late in the season. I think there's a solid chance that if he repeats his, statistically his season from 2018 and 2019 or potentially does better, then he does move up and, and we're talking no injury either. So that's a lot to ask. But um, yeah, like I've talked about this a, a handful of times that he just didn't really look like he was interested in stopping the run this past season, which was odd. And he, he, he just wasn't as good statistically, whether that was because he was being double teamed or what. And because of the injury as well, but um, he didn't look quite as good in 2019 as 2018. So that's uh, that's something to think about as well. All right, uh, moving right along. The next Irish player selected was in the following round in the fourth round. Troy Pride Jr. was selected by the Carolina Panthers with the. 113th overall pick. Uh, Nathan, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on Pride going to Carolina and the overall fit for him there? I mean, I like it. Um, I think he fell a little bit farther than I thought. Um, I'm also a little bit higher on him, I've noticed, than some other people. Um, I I really like his 2018 film. Uh, I thought he was maybe one of their better players on that defense um, opposite of Julian Love um, the year they played Clemson in the playoff. Uh, but if you looked at his like last like five or six games, I think you can make an argument that he was the better player. Um, and then obviously he had a li- maybe a little bit of a disappointing 40 time. Um, but at the same time, I mean, four, four is still elite speed. So in that sense, you know, maybe, maybe if he runs like the full, the low four, three, that some people thought, um, you know, you're seeing a guy that's going like in the second round or something like that. But no, I mean, I think he's, uh, I think he's a guy that could show to be, um, you know, a steal at that pick. And um, I think he played out of position um, at Notre Dame during his senior season. So you move him back to the field uh, side or you put him in the slot. And I think he's going to really shine versus playing the boundary. And Mason, how about you? Yeah, just echo what Nathan was saying. That Something I really didn't think about in my draft preparation was that Troy Pride was essentially playing out of position this entire past season where he didn't really get to show his skill set, the things that he's good at as much in 2019. And he still didn't have a bad season, but um, he really shined at the at the Reese's Senior Bowl, and I th- that's where I thought maybe he would jump in like the second round, the early second round even potentially, with a team possibly taking a chance on his coverage skills improving, but really taking a chance on how quick he is in and out of his breaks and his just track star speed that's well advertised now. But um, I think that's a good fit in Carolina. He's close to home. 
And Matt Rule seems to be really high on him, so hopefully he'll get the best out of him with the Panthers. And finally, Matt, what are your thoughts on Pride going? Yeah, I, I thought he was better than some of the guys that were reached for earlier. Um, you know, I I, I do agree, um, and, and I kind of had mentioned this in, in kind of recapping it, that uh, to you guys' point, he, he's probably a better fit in the NFL playing in the position of like a, a slot role uh, just because of that elite speed, and I think he'll thrive there. Um, don't discount playing close to home. I mean, he's from Greer, South Carolina. It's it's just over an hour from from Bank of America Stadium. So, you know, it's 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 a home it's a hometown uh, or it's a, a reunion in in a sense. Um, I think it was. I watched the phone call uh, from Matt Rule to Pride, and basically his his big reference was, "Hey, uh, you know." He he definitely valued the importance of how long Pride was a starter at Notre Dame, uh, and and the you know the fact that it's such a blue chip organization and the fact that he was able to do that, you know, really was what drove it home for them. So uh, I think he's I think it was a great pick. I think he'll end up being a steal. Uh, I think he's somebody that you know uh, is just I. I that speed is it, it just plays really well at that slot or or at that slot position. I think he'll do he'll do incredible for him. Yeah, I think leading into leading up to the draft, Pride was the player out of this group of Notre Dame players that seemed to have the most variance as far as people's predictions on where he was going to be selected. Um and I think yeah, a couple of reasons that you can point to that. Um First, just being like the overall value of cornerbacks in the NFL. And then you had his combine performance, which some thought may, may have been uh, slightly uh, – he may have slightly underperformed there. Um, and then he also had his, his move from field to boundary. Uh, I think what may have ended up hurting him a little bit was that he wasn't as productive in the boundary. And, yes, we could say he was technically out of position, but – I think what what the NFL what NFL teams are looking for these days are just guys that can be more more versatile and that they can kind of move and and line up in different positions throughout their defense. Um, and yeah, he had he had an all right season, uh, but he I think he probably could have ended up you know being up there along with Komet and Claypool had he performed a little bit better. But I digress. I mean. A fourth round draft pick is really nothing to scoff at, and I think he has he has all the tools to to succeed at the next level. So it's definitely going to be exciting to to watch him develop in Carolina. And moving right along, in the very next round, we had the second Notre Dame defensive end selected, uh, Khalid Kareem, selected by the Cincinnati Bengals with the one hundred and forty seventh overall pick. Mason, what are your thoughts on Kareem going to Cincinnati? Um, and how long will it be before they win a Super Bowl with Joe Burrow? I think Kareem is a decent fit in uh, that. That last question just entirely threw me off. What I was going to say, um, <laughs> Kareem's a he's a decent fit there. I think he'll uh, he'll have an early opportunities to succeed, considering the Bengals aren't the best team in the NFL. Um, it's a very tough division with the AFC North, but um, I think yeah, he'll have a decent chance to beat up on some uh, on some Heisman winners. There's three Heisman winners in the AFC North, so um, 
but yeah, the the Bengals winning the Super Bowl is not going to happen anytime soon, uh, especially considering how strong that division is now and how it will be for the future with the Steelers revamping and then the the Ravens being as good as they are with and then the Browns are kind of hit or miss, I guess, with uh, with all the talent that they have, but they can't seem to put it together. So I would say no on the on the Bengals Super Bowl, but yes to Cali Kareem potentially succeeding pretty early on in his career. I think he has a chance to actually. Uh, be more successful early on in his career than Julian Aquara immediately, not necessarily in the grand scheme of things, like an, an entire NFL career, but uh Kyle Graham's more NFL ready at the moment. Yeah. I mean, knowing you're, you're a Steelers fan, though, I was just trying to spark <laughs> yeah, you yeah, a little yeah. bit there before you get, <laughs> sorry to throw you off. Uh, Nathan, what are you, what are your thoughts on Kareem? Well, first off, if, if Burrow is as advertised, they have a very good chance here soon. I think they got some weapons around him too, with T Higgins and AJ green and Tyler Boyd and uh, Joe Mixon in the backfield. And now Kareem leading the defense. Uh, <laughs> obviously joking with the Kareem comment, hopefully, or hopefully not joking with the Kareem comment, I guess. But, um, but no, I mean, I think like, like Mason said, uh, I mean, I think he's a, a lower floor, a lower ceiling guy for the NFL's purposes, but I think he has a really good floor. Um, I think at the very least, he's going to be a good, um, a good role player that can play in both a three, four and a four, three. Um, he can line up at the three technique. He can line up in a four, three defensive end. Um, you know, he can line up inside when it comes to, you know, pass rush situations and so on and so forth. So um, as long as the Bengals are creative and know how to use him, I think that, you know, he can have a pretty successful career as either a role player or, or maybe even surprise, the pe- surprise some people as a, you know, a fifth rounder that ends up as a, you know, as a decent starter. Yeah, I definitely hope so. And uh, Matt, what are your um, thoughts on the I pick? actually think it's it's a solid landing place for uh, for him because uh, the, I mean the team is not good, obviously. Otherwise, they wouldn't have the first overall pick in the draft. But there's not a lot ahead of him. Uh, you have Dunlap ahead of him, who's you know been around the league for a while. Uh, he can learn under him. But there's there's not a ton of competition um, for him as a pass rusher. So he may be able to step in and. You know, as it was mentioned earlier, uh, he's he's NFL ready. He's big. He's strong. I, I think he can have an impact right out of the gate, and I, I do think he's a bit of a sleeper pick. Um, obviously, again, he's a guy, another guy that didn't didn't have the opportunity to participate at the combine, which you know I, I think he would have done fairly well. He's he seemed like the guy last year that that made the big plays on the on the defensive line uh, more so than Okwara even. Uh, even when both were healthy, it just seemed like, like Kareem came up with the, the big plays more often. I think he's going to play well there. I, I think that it, you know, it's, it's actually an, an excellent landing spot for him. Yeah, I don't want to entirely take credit for Kareem being selected in the fifth round, 147th overall, but I, I had tweeted out um, on Saturday when he was the – six best defensive end still available according to what ESPN had in their rankings and it must have been like 10 minutes later that he that he got picked um so that's pretty cool uh I I was like when I saw that I was like oh for sure he's probably gonna slip into the sixth so I was really glad to see him uh selected where he was I think when you when you look at the two the two defensive ends him and Aquara um 
a lot of people just point to their difference in, in stature and, and assume, oh, Kareem, because he's you know a little bit more stocky uh, and has those, those longer arms, they, they see him as maybe being a little bit more durable. Um, although, I mean, throughout his Notre Dame career, you know, us as Notre Dame fans just always re- uh, recall him just having to sit out stretches of, of games just because he tweaks an ankle or something like that. And uh, I mean, you know, once you sprain an ankle once, uh, you kind of had bad ankles for the rest of your life. So hopefully he can uh, stay in, in good enough condition and obviously uh, moving to the NFL, probably going to start off at, in a slower role. So probably be better for him as far as just overall development and, and staying healthy. Um, but yeah, it's definitely going to be <laughs> interesting to follow for sure. I, so, I mean, even though I, I, I pose the question, I'm, I'm not, uh, predicting that the Bengals are going to win a Super Bowl anytime soon, but it is pretty cool to, to see him end up on a, a team that is going through a rebuilding process and has a little bit of excitement in their fan base, uh, after they selected the most recent Heisman winner in Joe Burrow. And uh, so we can move on. The last Notre Dame player selected in the 2020 NFL draft was Alohi Gilman. Uh, he was picked by the LA Chargers in the sixth round with the 186 overall pick. Kind of nice. With these last five picks were almost spaced out pretty evenly going the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. So Notre Dame players following along. Never really had to wait too long for the next pick. Um, so Matt, let's start with you on this one. What are your thoughts on, uh, I think it's a great landing going spot, to the chargers, uh, from the standpoint of there's a lot of familiar faces there. It seems like I kind of joked that, um, the, the chargers are becoming South Bend West. Uh, you now have Drew Tranquil, you have Rochelle, you have Jerry Tillery, you've got, um, Asmar Bilal, you've got, um, Dante Vaughn. So, I mean, they've got a ton of Notre Dame players out there. I think that's going to be beneficial that he's got all of those guys who he's played with and been around uh, to help mentor. But I just think that he's one of those guys that it wouldn't surprise me if he just found a way to be a a regular producer in the NFL and and make a name for himself. He just – he's kind of got that drive and determination that that, uh, make it – where it wouldn't be that surprising if, if he was very successful out there. But, um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's definitely good to have all those guys around him. I, he's probably going to be a depth piece to start out. Uh, there's some other good – I mean, Derwin James is an amazing safety, so can kind of be an understudy of his and, and kind of go from there. But, yeah, he's, he's going to be likely a depth piece and, and special teams contributor, but I, I think he'll do well out there. I think he'll stick with the team, and I wouldn't be surprised if he has a solid career. Nathan, what about you? What are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much to add on what Matt said. I mean, uh, I mean, Gilman just seems like the type of guy that makes a name for himself because of his leadership, his, you know, his intangibles, um, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, obviously going to the Chargers, coming from Hawaii um, is a nice landing spot. He kind of falls in the footsteps of Manti Teo in that role. Um, you know, and even though it's, I mean, Hawaii to California is still like a three-hour flight or whatever it is. Um, you know, it almost feels like home to him. So I like that fit from that standpoint. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to like, like Matt said as well, I think he's going to be a special teams guy and a key special teams guy for him early on. Um, and if he can, you know, work his way into, you know, the, 
the two deep and maybe even as a starter alongside Derwin James, like maybe in a couple of years, then I wouldn't be surprised just because of the type of guy he is. And finally, Mason, what are your thoughts on Gilman to the Chargers? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good fit. And I, I really like what you guys were saying about <clears throat> him potentially sticking with the Chargers. And I think that, regardless of whether necessarily he wants to or not, the Chargers are going to do everything that they can to keep him around. You don't let a guy that's that charismatic and that much of a leader leave, you know, whether or not he's a starter day in and day out for you. Um, He's just, he's a great locker room guy, a guy that's going to make everyone around him better. Everybody, a guy that's going to keep like everybody engaged and um, you don't let those kind of guys go. So I think he'll be a special teams contributor for sure. Uh, like Nathan said, po- possibly into the two deep, but it's, uh, it's hard to work past a guy like Derwin James, but hopefully he can learn from him and become an even better safety and potentially work himself into some playing time early on. Yeah, I think all, all great points all around. Um, I, I think it was Pete Sampson that, that tweeted out after the draft. Um, and he was talking about specifically Chase Claypool and Alohi Gilman, how, uh, their special teams experience and, and willingness to, to want to, to play special teams is going to essentially add, you know, two, three years to their NFL careers just because they're the type of guys that are going to give it their all on special teams. So um, uh, I, I, I definitely agree with, with everything you guys are saying. Uh, also, I mean, especially just the sheer number of familiar faces that are, are going to be, out in the the Chargers camp when when camps do start up, it's uh, certainly going to help the transition for him out there, um, and also just the that the fact that LA is the closest NFL franchise geographically to uh, his hometown. So um, I think that's going to end up being a really good fit for him. Uh, so those were the six players that were actually selected during the NFL draft, and Notre Dame also had six players who signed contracts as undrafted free agents shortly following the conclusion of the draft. So we had Jalen Elliott signing with the Detroit Lions, Chris Fink signing with San Francisco, Jameer Jones signing with the Houston Texans, Tony Jones Jr. signing with the New Orleans Saints, and both Asmar Bilal and Dante Vaughn, as Matt alluded to, signing with the LA Chargers. So out of that group... Um, does any of those signings stick out to you as something that is a really good fit or uh, any of these players that you think are kind of set up to make a final roster? Uh, Nathan, let's start. Yeah, there's three guys that stick out to me. Uh, First one is Jameer Jones. Um, I think if he had the luxury of being able to redshirt one of the seasons and return to Notre Dame, I think he would have been a draftable guy uh, in next year's draft. Um, and I think people forget this. I actually was listening to the Irish Illustrated podcast uh, yesterday, and everybody talks about how um, how good Chase Claypool was on special teams throughout his career. But the first two years of Jameer Jones' career, he actually led the team in special teams tackles. Um, so, I mean, I think that he has that that aspect of an undrafted guy that can give you give you special teams, um, you know, qual- or quality special teams time, and maybe even make a unit. Um, so I could definitely see him making the 53-man roster uh, there. Um, and then the other two guys that stick out are um, Chris Fink. Um, it got reported right after the draft that he received a pretty good uh, signing bonus. I think it was like $95,000. Uh, 
um, which isn't typical of, um, you know, an undrafted free agent. So obviously the, the Niners saw something in him. And then in just kind of doing my own research, I noticed that they might have a hole at the at punt return. Um, and I know, you know, Notre Dame fans might laugh at that because they thought he was kind of more of a safe bet at punt return um, instead of a guy that could, you know, take it to the house. But, you know, if, if that's something they want, then it's something that he's experienced at. Um, and then he's the kind of guy that finds that little niche role. If, he, if they need, you know, if they want the guy that can – um, you know, he's quick, he's more quick than fast. Um, you know, he, you put him in the slot and he's going to drive, you know, linebackers and safeties crazy with how quick he is in and out of breaks. So, I mean, I think there's a chance there. And then the main guy, I think outside of maybe Jameer Jones, like I mentioned is Jalen Elliott. Um, uh, I think all of us wouldn't have been surprised if Elliott was picked. Um, and you know, a lot like Alohi Gilman, his counterpart at, at safety, uh, he's a leader. He's, he's charismatic. <laughs> Um, he's a guy like how Mason mentioned with Alohi that, you know, you're not going to want to get rid of him. I feel like that's how the lions are going to, you know, they're going to feel about jail and they're going to be like, Hey man, we really have to figure out a way to get this guy on our team. And whether that means starting out on the practice squad and then working his way up to the 53 man roster, you know, later down the road, um, I think that's a possibility, but, um, I think Jalen Elliott has a, you know, I think he's just a really good football player in general and has, and has a decent chance. Yeah, with what you said about Fink's contract, I, I mean, going into this, didn't really have uh, an idea on on the the general value of of the contracts for, for undrafted free agents. So, I definitely learned something when you shared that. So, appreciate it, uh, Mason. Let's move on to you. What are your thoughts on on any of the undrafted free agents? Yeah, just Fink really stood out to me more than <clears throat> more than anybody else. Like we said, that signing bonus is significant. Obviously. The, uh, the 49ers have plans for him, clearly. You don't just throw out nearly $100,000 just to do it. Um, he seemed like a Patriots wide receiver. Patriots are really known for that kind of wide receiver, whether it's a Danny Amendola, Julian Edelman, that type of guy, Chris Hogan, where uh, they make those like those guys that kind of came from nowhere succeed. You know, uh, Fink was a walk-on at Notre Dame, had to fight for playing time, and now he's pl- about to be playing in the NFL, so – but I absolutely think that the 49ers have a role for him in some capacity, whether that's punt return or special teams or uh, just a guy running around in the slot, like Nathan said, driving people crazy. So, um, yeah, I think uh, he, he's a guy I'm really excited to watch just because, you know, when you're when a guy's getting drafted, obviously teams really plan on keeping them around for the long term. But an undrafted free agent sometimes doesn't work out. So he'll need to succeed quickly. And if he can make the most out of his opportunity, we might see him make that roster for a couple of years and become a longtime player in, uh, in San Francisco. And Matt, yeah, finally, I mean, uh, anything to add? That, obviously about those guys, the undrafted guys. The Sphinx signing. I think he's the, you know, uh, by far the, the most likely to uh, stick with the roster. Uh, Jones is uh, Jameer Jones is a freak athlete. I can see him, you know, uh, to Nathan's point sticking just for the special teams play alone. Um, I do think Jalen Elliott sticks around. I was a little surprised that he didn't get drafted, uh, especially the run on defensive backs. I, I just think he's solid enough to stick with the team. Um, another guy I, I wouldn't be terribly surprised, uh, talking to uh, some of the guys I know that, that cover uh, the Saints, a lot of them believe that Tony Jones Jr. actually has a legitimate shot of making that team. Um, just because he does everything – he doesn't do anything spectacular. There's nothing that really jumps off the page. But, again, the guy can block. He doesn't fumble. Um, 
you know, he can, he can get the yardage if you need him. He's a good depth piece. Um, by no means is he going to, you know, uh, take over the starting position there. They're, they're loaded. Uh, Kamara is not going to be forfeiting that over to, to Tony Jones Jr. But I wouldn't be surprised if he makes a team. He's a high-character guy, you know, strong leadership, real smart dude. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I think the two that are probably uh, – the most likely to, to either end up on practice squads or, or get caught all together are probably Bilal and and, um, and and Vaughn. But all the rest of those guys, I wouldn't be surprised if they make the team. Yeah, I think going into it, um, two guys that I thought had definitely had the, the best chance of um, getting drafted were – Ellie and Fig. Um, so no surprise seeing them sign quickly after the draft concluded. And I, I definitely like both of their odds to make a roster um, uh, once everything's said and done. And I think the same, I'm on the same page as you guys, as it goes as far as uh, Jameer Jones and, and Tony Jones are concerned too. Um, both just very solid players. I mean, no, none that are going to threaten uh, an NFL starting lineup, but certainly guys that can add quality depth to a roster. So, um, yeah, a lot of guys to, to root for once these NFL camps open up. Um, and we're hoping these guys can, can make the final roster cuts. Uh, before we move on, uh, Nathan, did you have Yeah, I was going to say the, like, a couple caveats to sort of Matt kind of brought it up a little bit, or at least I thought of it when he was talking. Um, I think it's important for people to realize that even though we mentioned a lot of these guys possibly been able to stick um, outside of maybe a practice squad or two, it's probably still pretty rare to do that. I mean, you don't see a lot of undrafted free agents just make 53 man rosters. Um, and then the other thing is, is they could end up at, you know, other, other places just because they were undrafted free agents, you know, to San Francisco or the lions or whoever, you know, it's possible that someone sees Fink or Jameer Jones, um, you know, during training camp and, you know, during the uh, preseason. And they're like, man, that guy could really fit our roster. They end up getting waived and then they put him on their 53-man roster. You see that a lot, I think, a lot of the times more more often than the guy making the team that they ended up an undrafted free agent as. Very true. Very true, yeah. It's just uh, kind of like a prolonged uh, interview or, or workout for these guys as they – just try to, to earn a spot on a roster somewhere in the league. All right. So the last thing that I want to talk with you all about today is the 2020 college football season. Um, and so for Notre Dame, their season would start, I mean, excluding their, their preseason camps, their 2020 season is scheduled to start on August 29th in Dublin in Aviva stadium against Navy. And, being, you know, the week prior to when the rest of the college football world is, is starting and also given the fact that the game, game is scheduled to take place overseas in the UK, um, I, I think fans are rightfully concerned as to whether or not that's going to eventually happen. So the Navy athletic director, Chet Gladchuk, recently gave voice to this and um, uh, kind of uh, – was was pretty optimistic. Um, so he went on Feinbaum's show and said, uh, speaking about, you know, uh, 
people running operations over in Ireland, they still remain very positive over there. We all are. People in Ireland have not given up on the game. We're still very optimistic on it. So Mason, let's start with you on this one. Where do you stand as far as whether or not you think that Notre Dame's game against Navy is going to take place as it pre- was previously scheduled? I think it's going to happen whether that's in Ireland or not, I'm not sure. I think a lot of people are kind of panicking about, um, you know, everything that's going on, which is right, rightfully so. But that's there's a lot of time still between now and then. Not necessarily sure if it will go on in Ireland. Um, I do think the game happens, though. I think that, uh, yeah, like, like I said, a lot, there's a lot of time between now and then. Being the uh, Navy athletic director, I think you kind of have to come out and say something like that and say, you know, oh, we, you know, we're, we're thinking it's going to happen as scheduled. To, to make people just feel good, I think you can't really come out and be all doom and gloom about it. So I think it was the right thing to say. I don't think it happens in Ireland, but I do think the game happens. Also, a quick point to add, I'm an idiot. Ireland's not part of the UK. <laughs> so let's just ignore that. <laughs> uh, Nathan, let's move on to you. Uh, are you still hopeful that this game takes place in Dublin? Uh- I'll be honest. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I, I, I think, and I know you have tickets, so I know like, you don't want to hear me say that. <laughs> you're like, you're, you're cussing me out in your head. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think the game happens. Like Mason said, I'm not too worried about the college football season itself being postponed or if it is postponed, maybe just a couple weeks kind of thing. Um, but um, I, I have a hard time believing that Navy – and Notre Dame and the NCAA in general are going to allow, you know, both teams to fly overseas, um, play a game in front of, you know, a bunch of people that are probably not even from the U- United States to a certain extent, um, you know, and then fly back, obviously. So I think it's going to end up, they're going to end up finding a way to play it um, here in the States, whether that be at Navy for the first time um, or at least the first time in a long time. Um, you know, or they find another NFL stadium or something like that to, to use. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think it's going to get played and most likely even be played at the time that it's supposed to be played. Um, but, but probably not in Dublin. And Matt, what's, yeah, what's your I, gauge of the situation? I, I kind of waffle on this, honestly. I don't know. I don't know which way I lean right now. I, I, I think there will be a season. I think it's going to be a modified season. I definitely don't think it happens in Dublin, though. I, I, I think that it's, you know, they're, they're going to have to figure some things out, and there's going to be some logistics that, that are definitely going to have to be hammered out here soon. But I think there will be some sort of season. I just don't know what it looks like. But it's tough because, honestly, you can't – it's going to be tough to have football begin if you can't even have the kids back on campus. I mean, that's going to be the, the first thing is, is how do they get people on campus? And there's no talk of campuses really anywhere that are going to be, I haven't heard any talk of, of reopening campuses anytime soon. So I think that's going to be the first indicator. If they can figure out how to get kids back onto campus, then, then things proceed. But for right now, I, I think everything's in a holding pattern and, and I'm remaining somewhat optimistic that there will be some sort of football, but, what is man? I don't even know. I, I, again, it changes every single day. Yeah, I think I'm I'm in the same boat as as you and Nathan as far as the likelihood of this game taking place. I think I would understand why the the Navy AD would come out and and make those comments. Um, I think that's more so just to show that 
hey, we're we're going to do everything that we can to still make sure that this game takes place as it was scheduled. Um, but I, I think we're just still too far out to to really tell um, whether or not it's it's going to be able to take place as scheduled. Um, I know that earlier this month, Brian Kelly talked said that discussions were already taking place um, as far as moving the game in both location and date. Um, so I think by now they probably have a few uh, alternate dates and locations that are at least possibilities that, you know, both, both schools can agree on. Um, but yeah, uh, I just, it's hard for me to, to see everything uh, taking place as, as scheduled. Um, and I think just the, the fact that it's a little bit earlier in the season works against them too, because I mean, not only is the game taking place earlier, but that means that teams, you know, they have to make sure that they're in camp a little bit earlier and getting conditioned and, and ready for the season. Um, so yeah, not looking good at this point. Uh, as, as Nathan mentioned, I, I was planning on going to the game, so still holding out a little bit of hope, but um, probably just trying to let myself down easy. Uh, well, I wanted to thank you guys again for, for taking the time out to uh, join me for a follow-up podcast, just to review the NFL draft and, talk uh talk about the Notre Dame players and their landing spots um for all the listeners you can follow the work that these guys do over at slapdesign.com you can also follow the slap design twitter at slap design um, where you can basically see all articles that are published uh fellas thanks again for joining me and um, absolutely hopefully we can do this again thanks soon. for having us back right, have a good one yeah take it easy a big thanks to Matt, Nathan, Mason, and Connor for joining me these past two episodes to break down the NFL draft. To support the work that those guys do, make sure you head over to slapthesign.com. And for information about upcoming episodes of this podcast, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at the Route. Thanks again for joining us today, and until next time, Go Irish!